0: Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP. Always designing for people. In the new film Cassandro, Gael Garcia Bernal plays the real-life Mexican-American wrestler who came to international stardom by adopting the persona of the flamboyant Cassandro, the Liberace of Lucha Libre. It's the story of a queer man who decides to challenge a macho and homophobic system through sheer showmanship, and in so doing, steadily earns the respect of his fellow wrestlers and wins over the hearts and minds of his audiences. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Cassandro on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor, The Official Hacks Podcast from Max. Join the creators and showrunners of Hacks as they discuss each episode and speak with the cast and crew about the making of the series. Listen to The Official Hacks Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from 3rd Love. 3rd Love makes solutions for every bra problem. Give yourself more lift, smoothing, and get straps that stay put. Every style's wear-tested on real women, made from premium materials, with a virtual fitting room to help you find your perfect fit. Comfort and support are guaranteed. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Be My Guest, with Ina Garten, a podcast from Food Network. Intimate and captivating conversations with new and old friends. Jennifer Garner, Frank Bruni, Emily Mortimer, and more.
0: Joining me today is Switched On Pop producer, Rihanna Cruz. Hey, Rihanna. Howdy. Howdy. And making her pop culture happy hour debut is Isabella Gomez-Sarmiento. She's a producer on NPR's Culture Desk and the Book of the Day podcast. Welcome to the show, Isabella.
3: Thank you very much.
0: Let's get started. Cassandro is a biopic about iconic Mexican-American wrestler Saul Armendariz, played by Gael Garcia Bernal. As a young man in El Paso, he crosses the border to enter amateur lucha libre bouts, though his diminutive size means he's always cast as the loser. Under the guidance of his wrestling coach Sabrina, played by Roberta Colindrez, he decides to switch up his wrestling persona to become an exotico, a category of Lucha libre wrestlers who are coded as gay and who thus traditionally lose in humiliating ways, much to the delight of homophobic crowds. Saúl swipes some skin-tight animal prints from his loving mother, played by Perla de la Rosa, and creates Cassandro, who wins bouts through athleticism and showmanship and quickly becomes a sensation. This complicates his strained relationship with his distant father and his secret relationship with the closeted and married Gerardo, played by Raul Castillo. It all causes Sewell to discover new sides to himself that allow him to face the challenges that fame brings. Cassandro was created by documentary filmmaker Roger Ross Williams. It's his first scripted feature film. And Williams co-wrote the screenplay with David Teague. Cassandro is streaming now on Prime Video, and we should note that Amazon supports NPR and pays to distribute some of our content. Isabella, this film, one of the many things it has to do is kind of give people a primer on what Lucha Libre is, if they don't know it. How familiar were you with this world, and what did you think of the film?
3: So I've seen Lucha Libre live in Mexico City twice. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've had the most authentic experience. I think I've gone to, like, the easiest, most accessible tourist place to see it. The tourist, yeah. yeah. But there have been a lot Mm -hmm. of local fans. I've always been very impressed by the theatrics of it. It feels so different from the sports that I've Mm -hmm. grown up seeing live in the U.S. and in Venezuela. And I, I really liked the film. I thought it was a really interesting portrayal of that world and of like the paradoxes that Cassandra occupied in that space as a gay person.
0: Uh huh, absolutely. What, what about you, Rihanna? What's your background and what'd you think?
3: I, so I really
2: enjoy wrestling. I enjoy Lucha Libre, but I guess the Americanized version that you see on, on mm-hmm. popular American wrestling promotions. Sure. But. I really enjoy it. I enjoy everything I've seen from it. And I like the movie. I had never heard of Cassandra prior to watching this film. Mm -hmm. The film was my first introduction to him as a person and him as a wrestler. And I really enjoyed Bernal's portrayal Mm -hmm. of Cassandra, both in and out the ring. It felt very lived in, very slice of life in a way that's Directly in contrast, I think, with the over-the-top drama and theatrics of Lucha Libre. And I thought, I thought that worked well. Mm-hmm. A couple of emotional beats didn't really hit for me, but I, I think mm-hmm. that's, like, because it was presented in a slice-of-life format, so I can't really, like... Be mad, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. You said the magic word, slice of life, because this is the only kind of biopic that I personally can vibe with because what it does is it takes a slice out of this guy's life Mm -hmm. where the strongest emotional beats hit instead of trying to give you the Wikipedia entry, right? So we get micro, not macro, and that matters a lot.
3: Yeah. I I really actually enjoyed it because I think I – don't really like biopics that have this, like, overly dramatic, emotional arc, like, superhero complex. And Mm. I feel like this film worked well for me because you see him as a very, like, flawed, normal person just trying to Uh do this thing that becomes so much bigger than him. Uh I mean, I agree with Rana in the sense that there were some parts that didn't quite land, even if it was supposed to be more subtle on the emotional effect that it had on him. But I think overall it was really... It felt real. It didn't feel like it was, like, this dramatized thing where you were supposed to be crying watching it. And that, to me, was more authentic and, and much more enjoyable, I think. Uh-huh. It felt very, like, rocky
2: coded, but, like, as if it was presented, like, the Florida Project. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I think totally. that's why it, like... Landed for me, because I do like Rocky, but I also like the Florida Project. And I think presenting a biopic in this nature is something new, and I haven't seen that before.
0: This is clearly not like a warts-and-all look at this man's life, Mm -hmm. because the Mm -hmm. real Saul Armandariz is a consultant on the film, and that kind of comes through. (laughs) He's depicted here unfailingly strong and resilient. He's always in the right, which usually in a biopic is just death. There is a moment in the film where he's thanked by a young queer kid that seems like, okay, this is the moment when the film loses its groundedness and starts to veer into tidy uplift, into this kind of hagiography. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't. And I think it's Bernal who I want to talk to you guys about. Bernal is able to offer you up some of the less polished layers of this guy, which might not be in the script. Like, he allows us to see... The ambition. He allows us to see that this guy feels wounded. He's resentful. You see some anger. You see some selfishness. And in that one moment I'm talking about where the kid is talking about his accepting father, you can see in that moment that Bernal is showing Saul fighting with this gnawing envy he feels. He's not really Mm -hmm. there in the moment for this kid because he is... He's conflicted. It's all – all the negative stuff I just talked about is there, but it's very muted because that's what I think Bernal is offering. Did you find this film too reverent, too sanctimonious, or did you like some of that grit?
2: I liked it. The scene that you're talking about at the end was one of my favorites in the movie because of the performances in it. And I think, like, for queer people that are watching it, like myself, that landed with me more emotionally than the other beats in the film. Mm -hmm. Because it's sort of speaking to that identity uh, sort of, you know, thing that I I think like a lot of queer people go through. And that part really spoke with me. I I didn't feel like the film was leaning too much into its emotional beats. I honestly didn't even know that he was a consultant on the film until you mentioned that. But (laughs) I, I guess like in hindsight, you know, it makes sense.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think like something that was really refreshing for me was that even from the beginning, like we don't have this dramatic coming out story in terms of his identity, right? Like, like very early on, Mm -hmm. like his mom's Mm -hmm. like, you're going to make a boy very happy one day. Like he's very secure in who he is. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that scene was a nice way to show like what that means to other people without us having gone on this like struggle of him finding that for himself. Like he already had that and he's kind of getting his flowers. So I feel like it was a very graceful (laughs) way to show that without trying to like tear jerk, this, you know, complicated thing for him.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think what I like most about the film is that Saul is allowed to be queenie, for lack of a better term. And there's another term, there's a term that he uses in the film that's a little too hot for NPR, (laughs) so I won't use it here. But when he says it, he says it the way my friends and I say it. So it's not a slur, it's this coat of many colors that we slip on whenever we feel safe, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing I really dig about this is that this film is written so there is an arc but it's not the heavy-handed scolding rise and fall narrative that you know becomes like the most easy digestible behind the music kind of vibe right i mean Mm -hmm. this guy it's the 80s and 90s he snorts coke he makes passes at straight guys and doesn't get punished for it i mean those are aspects to his character and it's not stuff that derails the film into this kind of rise and fall arc if this Mm -hmm. was a bigger hollywood film from a major studio you know he'd see some BS moralistic comeuppance that would reassure straight audiences that that's the way it works. But we don't get that here. There's a lot that's left gratifyingly un, not resolved, but like the, mm-hmm. it's not a tidy film that ties everything up in a neat bow. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about Bernal. OK, so this is a 44-year-old man who was up in that ring like uh, doing the work, playing a young guy. And, you know, for the most elaborate stuff, if you freeze frame it, there is a stuntman but there's a remarkable amount of sweat and tears on screen. What'd you make of that? The physicality of this role?
2: I mean, I thought it worked really well as somebody that watches a lot yeah. of wrestling. That's the thing that I think I locked into first. And that's honestly the thing that got me interested in the movie in the first place. I was like, Bernal is going to be wrestling? Oh, yeah. like, sign me up. And uh-huh. I enjoyed it. I, I thought the wrestling scenes were portrayed well. I thought the physicality was on display i think bernal's age definitely (laughs) stood out to me in the first Mm -hmm. half of the film where i was like okay wait how old is he supposed to be Mm -hmm. but you know by the other half of the
3: film it's a non-issue but i thought he did well in the ring yeah it's funny you say that about his age because i think i had kind of like the Ryan Gosling Ken shock factor, seeing him blonde sure. and being like, what? What exactly is happening here? There's yeah.
0: a there's a similarity there,
3: yes. Totally, no, but I was so impressed, yeah, with his with his physicality. I think with like the subtleties of the exótico and what he's doing is different. Like we see a little bit of footage of how other people do it and how other people sort of exaggerate the flirting and exaggerate the way they move and the way that he's able to be like both strong but like sensual and and uh-huh. feminine and he's mm-hmm. having fun. I think is. Like you were saying earlier, Rihanna, like it, it felt very lived in and like he he was definitely stepping into that role in a very personal way. I, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, you could definitely feel the fun through mm-hmm.
2: the screen. Like I was like everybody here is having a good time.
0: Yeah, that clearly comes through. So in interviews, this director has been asked why he didn't hire a queer actor for this role. You know, and you can see why he's being asked that question, right? Because this is an iconic, beloved, queer Not only public figure, but sports figure. And we don't have a lot of out queer sports figures. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I want to get your thoughts on this. But I like that that question gets asked because I think when that question is asked, it's less about who is qualified to play a given role and more about who's given the opportunity Mm -hmm. to play these roles. And actors, of course, always see it as a question of qualification, which is why – when they're asked that question, you don't tend to want to read their answers because mm-hmm. that leads down the road towards Scarlett Johansson. I should be able to play a tree. <laughs> for me, and this is personal, I I don't think anyone can argue that Bernal's performance here is somehow wrong or wanting or inauthentic in any real way. But maybe you can. What do you guys think?
3: I, I mean, I think Bernal's performance was the biggest hook for me for this film. And I think especially because yeah. I think he's the actor who has – or one of the actors, but maybe the definitive actor who has been – taking on roles that challenge Mexican masculinity, Latin American masculinity for decades at this hmm. point, you know, It Tambien starts off in such a different yep. place than this film does. I don't know. It was very rewarding to see him step into a role like this and see him take that one step further by like literally embodying and, you know, like honoring somebody who has broken down so many barriers for queer people in Mexican culture, in pop culture at large, in, you know, in athleticism. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Glenn, Like I think I understand the question. I think it's important accountability. But I think it's like an extension of how he's tried to change people's perception and, and change the way the audience looks at gender and looks at identity in Mexican films. So it was really beautiful to see him here doing this. No, yeah,
2: exactly. It felt very honoring, like you said. I appreciated that. I think there were points in the film where my mind kind of went, especially during like the intimate scenes, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, these are straight dudes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that I, I kind of had to remind myself at points, mm-hmm. both because, I don't know, something bumped for me. And also, like, I had forgotten at earlier points in the film. And then I was like, why is this bumping for me? And then I was like, oh, right. These are straight guys engaging in gay intimacy, you know? Yeah. But that being said, I I thought honoring is a great word to describe it as an I thought that was accurate.
0: Yep. Uh, Do you guys have any thoughts about how this film looks and sounds? I mean, I just remember when this film opens and he's walking through the back streets of Cuidad at Twilight This score, this gorgeous mournfuls, these horns, just uh, and the score is by Marcelo Zavros, that kind of cast a spell for me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to follow where this film is taking me. What do you guys think about the way this film looks and sounds?
2: Well, it's interesting that you say that the director is a documentary filmmaker because it felt like that. The muted nature of it, Mm -hmm. the way that the film lets things sit. I felt shots linger for a while, yeah. Where you're gleaning more about the characters in those shots. Like I said before, I appreciated the fact that this was a different type of biopic, mm-hmm.
3: and I, I think it really shines through the way that the film is shot and constructed. Totally, I agree, and I think um, so. I watched. The documentary, because he, he Roger Ross yeah. did a documentary on Cassandra that was sort of the kickoff point for this film, like you mentioned earlier, Glenn. And it's interesting because the documentary also opens up with a shot of like the real Cassandro walking with a little suitcase. Mm. Um, and there are other uh-huh. shots throughout that are kind of parallels to the documentary. It just felt very authentic. I was like, this is someone who clearly spent time in this person's world with this person and tried to replicate it in, I guess, like a little bit of a more romantic way, but without making it feel... I don't know, foreign to what the documentary showed. So, yeah, I, I really sure. loved it. And I mean, that I Will Survive cover in Spanish. Like, that just oh, yes. stabbed me in the heart.
2: That
0: is what, as soon as I heard Celia, I was like, okay. Yeah, you'll be viviré. <laughs> this, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Celia Cruz. Yes, perfect. Yep. Um, So, yeah, this is a biopic. And in biopics, especially the warts and all Wikipedia kind, there is a tendency to do the, I'll show them all uh, and uh, th- they'll be sorry. And here, as I mentioned, things go unresolved as they do in life. His relationship with his father doesn't get a kind of like a button on it. It is mm-hmm. – there's things he's grappling with and things with his mother. Some things are left unresolved. He, th- he comes to this thinking that fame is going to change everything and it doesn't. It's kind of bending against the arc that biopics tend to go in. Um, I really enjoyed that. Did this film leave you feeling satisfied?
3: I think in some ways yes and in some ways no. But like you're saying, Glenn, it was like uh-huh. important that it didn't because it's this is a real yeah. person's life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, you don't solve your problems with your estranged father overnight just because you're now a famous luchador. lord. And I think it did a good job of of portraying that. And romantically too, like I had complicated feelings with his romantic arc. It didn't always feel relevant and it just those scenes felt very out of place to me at certain times. Interesting, But I liked that there was kind of an ambivalent ending to it and there wasn't like a definitive Mm -hmm. resolution, I guess, to to that storyline as well. I thought
2: the romantic interests personally, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I thought they gave a lot to the story because the way I saw it was that he is so loud and over the top and, you know, very, very gay in the ring and very proud of it. But outside of it in these romantic relationships, he's kind of shoved kind of back into the closet, Mm. particularly in his relationship with Raul Castillo, who plays, you know, a married man. Mm -hmm. I thought Mm -hmm. that added like an extra layer of emotion in his performance, you know, because he loves this man and yet, you know, he can't be outward with that love the way that he is when he's, you know, being gay or playing up the gayness in
0: Mm -hmm. the ring. Absolutely. And, you know, the fact that the Lucha Libre is known for masks and this is a film Mm -hmm. about somebody who finds himself and a version of himself that allows him to kind of, as I say, you know, deal with a lot of the challenges that fame brings. Mm hmm. Uh, this is a small film, but there are some big names in it, specifically if you know either rap culture or uh, Lucha Libre culture. You want to talk about one of them, Mariana?
2: Yeah, for me, what I really enjoyed is, I, I don't know if you could call it a cameo or not, but the performance by Elio del Santo. Mm-hmm. He's a legendary uh, luchador. Mm-hmm. His name directly translates to the son of Santo, and it's like a long line of folk heroes in uh Lucha libre. So mm-hmm. the fact that Elio Del Santo was in the film and playing himself and yeah. is even the talk show host at the end. Yep. I don't totally. know. That was like a, a sweet thing that I was watching. And I was like, wow, like this man is like playing himself in a film about Cassandro. Like I, I enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, because I mean this film tries to make the point that this guy changed – some of the macho and homophobic, you know, stereotypes of, of just not Lucha Libre, but Mexican mm-hmm. culture, and that's a big ask. But when you have El Hijo de Santo playing himself, saying wonderful things about Cassandro, kind of puts his money where its mouth is.
3: Totally. But celebrity cameos that did not work for me was Bad Bunny. Oh. Let's talk. I Well, okay. First, I mean, I think part of it was like – so much of this film has been amped about like Bad Bunny's making his debut, Bad Bunny's kissing Gael, like this whole Mm -hmm. thing already Mm -hmm. has been kind of too much. Just on the level of watching the film, I was very jarred every time he appeared on screen because it was just, it was like, Uh I think it was a little distracting to have someone like him who's not usually in films trying to play this character. I like the character in the sense, like you were saying, Glenn, it's like an ambivalent thing of like, there's not really like a concrete storyline there. It's just kind of like a love interest that, comes and goes throughout the film, and, Mm -hmm. and like, that was fascinating. Yeah. But it felt a little bit too much like the film was trying to be, like, we got Bad Bunny. Here's a shot of Bad Bunny's (laughs) – here's a tight shot of Bad Bunny's mouth. Like, it was just a little too on the nose for me that he was there, like, not doing that much, but being shown too much for some reason.
0: To clarify, Bad Bunny plays Felipe, who is the assistant to Saul's uh, wrestling promoter.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Oh, man. I mean – before I watched the movie, I saw clips on Twitter of mm-hmm. Bad Bunny's yeah, kiss <laughs> with Kyle. Mm-hmm. That was my main reference point going into the movie. I was like, okay, Bad Bunny kisses a guy, like, nobody move. But yep. you know, watching the movie, I, I think like people that are watching it for Bad Bunny are going to leave with a lot to be desired. Yeah,
0: he's not much. He's not much in it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yet. I do agree with the fact that having him in the movie is distracting in a way, especially when we're getting this lived-in kind of performance. It, it adds a level of of showmanship and celebrity that I feel like isn't compatible yeah. mm-hmm. with the film.
0: I hear what you're saying. It will, because they are promoting it heavily, it will get butts in seats, or I guess since mm. this is uh, streaming, yep. it'll get butts on couches mm-hmm. uh, as you watch it at home. Well, we want to know what you think about Cassandra. Find us at facebook.com PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Rihanna Cruz, Isabella Gomez-Sarmiento, thank you both for being here.
2: Thanks so much. Always a pleasure.
0: This episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Alokamin provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow.
1: Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Host a celebratory brunch for less with 365 by Whole Foods Market. Featuring wallet-happy finds like cold-smoked Atlantic salmon and more.